this is season one, episode four of Mastering the RPG, a tabletop RPG podcast all about upping your game. Our episode tonight is Running in One Shot, or how to add more stress to your game master life. <laughs> Welcome again to Mastering the RPG, a tabletop RPG podcast, like I said, focusing on maximizing your game, whether you're a game master, player, with advice, ideas, cool stuff found, and some strong opinions. And we hope you get something out of it. I'm Carl with my co-hosts, Eric and James. Heyo. Heyo. G'day. <laughs> and you can find all our information at masteringtherpg.com. That's one word. And if you've got questions, comments, you want us to adjudicate um, some arguments, we'd love to do that. Just send a note to GameMaster at MasteringTheRPG.com, and that's all one word, too. So let's get right into it. Um, why don't we go ahead? I think this week I have a cool stuff found. Cool stuff! Cool stuff! Cool stuff found! Cool stuff. All right. So what I wanted to talk about was actually a combination of a YouTube channel and a book that this particular individual's um, bringing out. And his name is Guy, and I'm not sure, Schlanders, Slanders, um, but any important is that he's got a book called The Practical Guide of Becoming a Great GM that he kickstarted, um, did pretty well on it, and um, now they're in the pre-order stage. But what's cool is... In his YouTube channel, and I'll have a link in the notes. Um, and he's on YouTube. He's called um, uh, the. Uh, I can't remember. How to be a great GM? How to be a great GM? Thank you. I can't even read my own notes. Anyway, so we'll put that link into the into the notes. Um, but in his channel, he spends a lot of time talking about campaign design, how to game master. Very, in some ways, very academic in the approach. You know, bullet yeah. items, walking through things. But what's kind of cool is with his book now, he's been going through chapters in the book. So. You know, uh, some of the things that he's going to put in the book, you can now watch the YouTube channel as it would be the chapter and gets a lot out of it before you ever get the book. Um, I listen to his channel a lot, and I think there's a lot of things that I've... And it's generic. It's very much um, not D&D focused. It's a lot of good tips and hints. I think a uh, good thing to, to watch if you're not watching TabletopTango.com um, for <laughs> your Savage Worlds needs. But if you're not watching our channel, uh, go ahead and take a look because it's got a lot of good ideas. Um, the videos are kind of long, so you have to, you know, invest in it, but it's good stuff. I don't know. Are you guys familiar with him at all? Have, ever yes, seen his I stuff? am definitely familiar with him. Yeah, I've seen him before. Really good guy. A lot of good, like you said, it's very academic. I think one of my favorite videos I watched on him was about taverns and how taverns actually were back in the day and how we do it wrong. And I thought that was super illuminating about, you know, you would normally be sharing a, uh, one single room with all your adventures and it would be pretty expensive and I, yeah so he has some really really he gets really uh niche or nitpicky or very specific with things which i think is a kind of a a cool space to to operate in so that's a yeah i've been following guy for for a while he's um an absolute stalwart of the fifth edition kind of crowd um i don't know if you're aware of this he actually uh runs 
um, some very high-profile games for Dungeons in a Castle where you can actually, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's top shelf, $2,000 a ticket, come and, come and play with Guy oh, and, um, cool. and it would be incredible to play with. But, um, yeah, look, his insight is, is extraordinary. And um, I've got to say, uh, really inclusive, wonderful voice within the industry and within the community. He's a, he's a lovely man, let's just say that. I, I, I adore him and, and a, lot of his, uh, a lot of his insights are just extra, really great and, and can easily transfer to everyone's game. Awesome. Yeah, I forgot all about the uh, gaming in a castle. How how, how cool of a concept that. concept is that, really? So, um, so that's what I've got. Uh, not a big topic, but you know, it's all about the links and just go watch and and learn. Um, so, what do you say? Should we get to the main topic? Let's do it. Do it. Let's do it. Do it. All right. Do it, do it, do it. All right. Um, today, I am the leader of the main topic. And what we're, again, talking about is running a one-shot. And I think what's nice uh, to start off with is what exactly is a one-shot? It seems like it's simple, but there's a little nuance based on what you're talking about. In my world, a one-shot is truly... Um, something that has a beginning, middle, and end, tells a whole story, um, doesn't require a lot of knowledge, backstory knowledge. It's really self-contained. Um, and I also do a lot of convention games, and that also means to me time constraint. Um, but I don't know, Eric, or uh, you want to kind of – what do you think yeah, your I, definition is of a, <laughs> of an actual – I think it's – for me, it's broader than that. It's It's like you said. It is self-contained. It's usually one – kind of story, one main story, one quest, as it were. And that can vary from, like you said, a convention game, which I've never played that short of one, to even something like 10 sessions. I mean, a, a good example of that is um, D20. <laughs> That's uh, a the, the College Humor. The, no, 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 no. The College Humor guys, if you watch Escape from the Blood Keep, I think it was like eight or 10 sessions. And that, to me, that is still a one-shot in my mind because that was a very self-contained story, very direct, very, you know, this we're, we're telling this one thing. We're not branching out. So... I, I mean, obviously, generally, to me, it's usually about two sessions or something, one to three sessions, maybe. That's where I usually play in one-shots. Um, I definitely don't think it's just a one-session thing. Like, you know, if, if a convention game is, but I think most one-shots, I I don't think I've ever played a one-shot besides testing your convention games, Carl, that were that were, that were were just one session. I never, I never have. So, um, yeah. James, what about you? Yeah, what's your thoughts? Uh, I digress here. I, I think a one-shot's <laughs> a single-session game. I absolutely do. And 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 I'm going to talk a little bit of difference between a demo game, which is also a little bit different because I've run lots of demo games in conventions. But for me, a one-shot is a simple, simple premise, one session of about three to four hours maybe, uh, where people can jump right into an adventure, have a really nice self-contained kind of session and, and move on. And I've got to say, these things are, are getting more and more and more popular. If I, The little anthologies of one-shot adventures are now everywhere. Like yeah. I, I'm, just thinking, I'm just talking the last three or four years. I know Call of Cthulhu have re released uh, Gateways to Terror and Doorways to Darkness, uh, 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons, Candlekeep Mysteries, and they're just about to launch another one called, uh, what's it called? Journeys to the Through the Radiant Citadel. These anthologies of little three and four page adventures that aren't quite a module. They're not quite a campaign. They're just a little, 
let's play D&D or a role-playing game for an afternoon. So, sorry, Eric, we're going to have to agree to disagree. No, on I mean, no, I, I think I think you guys are right, but I just, I think in the community, you know, there is a penchant to have some longer ones. And I, I think they would still be under the umbrella of one shot because they're not campaigns, you know, mm. they're, they're not. And they're not, you're not, usually you're not starting from a zero, you know, character creation. We're just meeting for the first time. Um, it is kind of the, the same format you talked about. It's just stretched out over, a couple sessions versus just one session just to maybe, maybe you, this maybe this is an old GMs. school thing maybe this is an old because i used to have the, this thing called a module back in the day uh -huh. where a module would be a little adventure that might take you three or four or five or six or seven sessions to get through um whereas in my sense a one shot was what you used to find in dungeon magazine that you could just kind of do it in four pages but I'm oh, sure good old dungeon actually, magazine it could guy. it could yeah. just be uh, you know maybe it's just my personal experience or maybe people are you know the word has changed and become broader than it needs to be but um i think Either generally way, we're talking lots about of short, fun for a short yeah. time not a long time yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> seven sessions that's a long time though that's um but anyway I, i've never done that i was maybe i was being a little uh exaggerating there <laughs> okay. you know, i think the most i've ever played that felt like a one shot was like three sessions so all right um, so yeah. so with that in mind um again like i said the definition's got some nuance to it it's not cut and dried but what are some of the challenges that comes with um a one shot um that's different than perhaps campaign play and I'll obviously, I'll open it to you guys initially. Um, obviously, I'll come from that perspective of the short four-hour kind of format. But, uh, James, what do you think? What are some of the challenges that um, a one-shot presents to you as a game master um, to actually do them? Uh, well, for me, one-shots are great, by the way. I, I, I adore them. I think they're different skill they're a different product they're a different kind of way to approach dungeons and dragons to your long-term campaign uh, i run one shots all the time for kids during vacation like so during school holidays i'll run a uh, a one shot uh, series of games where i might run two a day where people come and play and generally five or six kids so some of the challenges uh, that i find in running a one shot um, are, are threefold really first one is it's about experience and in a lot of ways, one-shots are a great way to introduce new people into the game. So uh, one of the challenges, therefore, is how do you present a game that has to be resolved very, very quickly in, in terms of one session uh, or within one concept while still encouraging people to learn to learn how to play at the same time? And and yes, I run demos as well, but, uh, but I find that uh, you've got a, a kind of a three-hour moment, a three-hour taster. In a lot of ways, you might be... Uh, encouraging players to play for for the first time. Um, uh, you know, you, you might this might be the way to get your friends involved in the game, and therefore maybe if they're interested, starting a campaign later. So one shot has got that good taster where the where you are where you're introducing generally um, uh, uh, novices to the game. The second one I think we've touched on already is is time constraint. You've you've only got a limited amount of time. Um, a limited amount of time to kind of truncate and and um, expedite the adventure so that so that you you have all of that all of that action and and the third one is 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 moving that moving the story along as fast as you can so sorry i'm, I'm probably hogging up too much time but there's, no, no, there's no, a lot no, of challenges I, I, but maybe the three as much as i can no i think you <clears> hit on a thing before i i, I i'm going to throw it over to you, eric but that's interesting you have to pack a lot of fun in a short mm. period of time, if you're introducing new players to role-playing games, you don't want it to be kind of a boring slog. You know, you, you 
that's a challenge of the one shot is it's got to be fun kind of start to end to get people engaged if they're if they're new new to role playing that's that's an interesting this is an interesting thought that i hadn't personally kind of made that connection so Eric, what or, do you- or new to a system too, because often oh, you sure. might be taking a break from a, the system that you're, you're normally playing. It's, oh, let's do one shot of this, see if it's any yeah. good or any different, <laughs> and giving it yeah, a go. Yeah, like something like D&D players, Savage Worlds. So for me, I don't have a lot of experience running one shots. I just ran a one shot, so this is more going to be like, how did I screw up and what, what, you know, what are things to avoid <laughs> that I actually did in doing it? Um, things that I've seen, though, like I think you have a good point, James, for new players, and I think there's different pitfalls for when you're playing with experienced players um, because they also maybe want to see something new. I think with them, you're going to have a problem and you, you want to let them role play. But when people have new characters and they, and they often will make crazy characters for one shots, they really want to show them off. And so, you know, that can eat up a lot of your time where people want to kind of show off their new characters, maybe too much when you're trying to move the plot along. Um, uh and, and wanting to role play them out a lot when you when you you know you're trying to move the plot along. I think here communication is really good with players. Um, I think a pitfall is often unpredictability of depending on uh, the player level, uh, like the player experience. If you have new players, then you know setting your encounter balances. You want to set it on the much lighter side versus players who are more experienced. But even players that maybe have played, if they're playing new types of classes or new types of characters, you know it's. It, setting the challenges appropriately for for the level of experience, I think, is something that is is hard to pin down. Um, and then, I, you, James, that you said, most of the things you said, yeah, I mean, timing, 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 um, having a good act structure. You, you want to have a nice flow, and I, but you I mean you hit on all the main points that I was going to make. Yeah. So, so I actually, funny thing is, uh, I think Gen Con two thousand four, I actually did a seminar on taking a campaign adventure that you did for a campaign and turning it into a convention game because that's and that leads to kind of those challenges that you'll see in a one shot and again i'm coming from that you know that angle of kind of a convention game is a one shot um but it's i think it's applicable to a home group or to new people coming together but you know keep in mind you don't have any deep lore or that ability to kind of slow growth into the campaign or understanding so you have to, you know, you have to come out of the gate. And so if it's, if it's, you know, and that's an interesting thing, right? For a campaign, you can start slow and, you know, from village to world to kingdom and you get that lore kind of built up. Convention game, you kind of have to, you know, it's just got to be obvious. There's a lot of show you can't tell. Um, again, you mentioned it's got to be super crisp in design. It has to have a start, has to have a middle, has to have an end. It can't just cliffhangers are a no-no, I think. And when you're talking a one-shot and people are personal opinion is people are trying to do have a good time. Last thing you want to do is end on, oh, haha, but you didn't succeed. I pulled a rug out from <laughs> underneath you. Haha. No, um, no, no, and, no, no, no. <laughs> and that I mentioned it and you mentioned it, time management, uh, because even let's say even if it is a couple of sessions, right, Eric? We just got done running through one of yeah. your um, sessions on a game that that you're doing to show D and D players how to play Savage Worlds, and we felt a little rushed, right? Because we had yeah. three hours in this first session to get through, and there's things that you wanted to show and demonstrate. Um, so time management's a huge deal, and so being able to and I'll talk about this more when we talk about tips and creating, being able to handle that time structure and then the and the last thing the challenge is you can't let players 
wander off as much as you might in a campaign. In a campaign, what's absolutely fun is when players go, you know what, I don't want to go follow that MacGuffin. I want to go talk to the bartender more and understand if he's got a daughter. Oh, well, now the daughter's an interesting character that you might explore. No, guys, you, you know, the, the kings asked you to solve the goblin problem. We need to go solve the goblin problem. You need to grab the hook um, and, and go with it. So those are some of the challenges that I see. And there's a whole... You know, there's a whole raft of things that go along with those that I think drive and how do you create um, kind of that one shot. And I think that'll be the kind of the crux of where we're coming from. So do we want to uh, jump I've, into that or I've, do you want some I've got additional an extra thoughts? one, I guess. Um, yeah, awesome. I've got an extra challenge that um, – and, and I guess this pertains more to convention games uh, rather than a one shot with friends. And one thing that, that I see a lot when I run games at conventions is, which is unlike any other, any other game is you're bringing together strangers. Often you'll, you'll have, you'll have an individual or a couple or a, you know, father, daughter, or or a couple of college mates or whatever, and intersperse within a group of four to five extra people. And so quickly managing expectation about, because they have different skill level, different personalities, different social skills, and trying to get that group to kind of bind in a very, very fast way um, and and work op- uh, work effectively as kind of a, an operating team is, is a tricky thing. It's a, That's often the challenge to, to kind of get things moving well. And that's the different play styles that come into it. I, I think with your home group, you kind of know who's the murder hobo and you know who's the talky talk and you know who's the whatever but when you have a convention game and, and again we you know this isn't all about convention games but if you do have that that's a challenge in the one shot to have something for all the different styles if you're writing it yourself which is typically what I do is there's folks who like exploration there's folks who like combat there's folks who like role-playing how do you kind of mash all that together so every different playing style has a feeling because that they're doing something interesting that they enjoy doing because that goes back to kind of james what you're mentioning you got to have fun from kind of the start to the end and if you feel like you're doing nothing because your play style isn't being accommodated um, that's a tough one too eric you got any other thoughts on that or no i think we can move on to okay so so here's the meat of it all right so now we've got how do you create successfully create this one shot? Um, and we'll, and I'm talking about creation, obviously, in things like Savage Worlds. And, and James, you talked about it. There's one sheets. There's Savage Tales and Savage Worlds. And you mentioned in D and D, there's some new people kind of modularizing and having these small games. I'm not talking about that. It's like I'm creating a one shot, um, or you can talk about prepping a one shot too if you want. So. Um, let's Eric. Since we talked to James, let's talk well, to you first. What do you? What are your tips? I, yeah, I, I have the least experience of you guys. Obviously, I, I've really only run a couple one shots. I played in a lot of one shots. Um, something I've definitely seen is it's really good to start in the action. Um, you, you know, you can have a small introductory scene, but just start. You know, right in the action. Uh, one of the pitfalls that I fell into in, in our one shot is that I think I. I wanted to make the first fight a little too interesting. I had a little too many challenges and I didn't quite account for maybe the inexperience. Um, I definitely should. I think it's better to start your first kind of fight or, you know, if it's a dramatic task, whatever it is, kind of exciting thing. Uh, start it on the light and then you can build up to something heavier at the end. Um, I think I think a good way to look at this when you guys were talking to, I thought about it, is kind of the old procedural, you know, show where you could just click into a show 
and then whatever you didn't have to watch them in order right you could watch murder she wrote in the middle of the season and be fine that's how you should write your one shot where now tv shows are you know more like a campaign where they have this even if they might you can kind of you can't really skip in between them so i think it's really good yeah. how i thought about it was like i'm writing a procedural and that's what exactly yeah. i was thinking was that this could be episode four of the procedural and um it would just work um i i like the three-act structure i mean that's good for most things but um i think it really applies here um for me it's uh, like you guys mentioned it, and I think for you guys, because we're mostly talking about convention games, you guys like to, you know, pre-gen your characters, um, where when I've done one shots, it's often people make their own characters. I think either way, Carl, this goes back to what you were saying about having something for each player to do. I think that's really important um, when you're pre-genning characters, you know, you have control of the pre-gen so you can make them have those skills. So you know that people are going to be able to use them um, for the game that I just run for you guys. You know, you guys chose what you wanted to do, and then I specifically put in challenges, you know, for you guys based on your skills. So I think that's a big thing. Um, and I think a good way for a one shot is make the the narrative of whatever you're doing have a time limit. Make make there's there be a very big imperative to that they, they need to keep moving or something bad's going to happen. Um, you don't have to do it that way, but that that's I think that's an easy way to go about it. Is is really set the the stakes that. Uh, you guys can't you know mess around. You yeah, have time to time moving. is a great motivator. In, yeah, in any adventure, good, you know, for whatever sure. it is, you know. Um, uh, and and for me also, uh, have something that really will engage the players. Um, make their motivation really easy to understand while they're all there. Um, yes. Really set that up because that that can be a real issue when there's a one shot and you're oh you're just kind of an adventuring party and you know this is what you're doing and it's 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 often not impactful especially when you're given a character you really want to have that motivation up front so either have you know a, a mutual enemy a mutual ally that they need to rescue um, a, you know a treasure that everybody's going for I mean really really set up make it simple but make it um, compelling I guess um, for what what everybody's motivation is as a group to do yeah. this I I, um, I call that a yeah. um, kind of there's a business term say call to action I said there, there's yeah. got to be a call the, to action the hero's right? journey yeah for sure and super super crystal clear yeah yeah, yeah. there's a there's another there's another business minded or marketing term called single minded premise which is you need to be able to kind of encapsulate your one shot into a very simple sentence so that you can get your head around it as simply as you possibly can and then make sure that your players understand what that simple premise is i guess is the way that i approach a one shot um there's a fantastic writer of Call of Cthulhu one-shots called Lee Carr. He's an Aussie. I've, I've met him many times. He's now moved to Norway. But his one-shots I love the most out of anyone I've ever played, and I, and I try whenever I'm writing mine to emulate them. He absolutely relies on tropes that people can very easily understand. He is a big champion, and I am now too, of, of not allowing people to create their own characters. I run pre-mades for every one of my one-shots now. Um, because then you can tie the characters directly into the plot and they can easily work through it. So if I can think of some single-minded premises that, that Lee might do, you're a bunch of carny folk and the carnival has been infested by a mind-altering slug. Perfect. Single-minded premise. <laughs> uh, you're archaeologists in ancient Egypt that are trapped in a tomb with an evil avatar of Anubis. Done. Single-minded premise. My The last uh, one I wrote, which was an Australian horror theme, you are a group of uh, telegraph line workers 
who are replacing a group of people who have been slaughtered by bats. It's kind of the simple-minded premise, and and off you go. And in my mind, when if you can get that concept in your mind before you write, then everything funnels it nice and easy. And if you and if you can explain to the characters and the players what it is they're up to within the first five minutes of the game, you would be amazed at how well it runs after that. The fact that our, our carny folk know that there's a mind-altering slug in the carnival makes for a really fun hour after that. The fact that they know that they're trapped in a tomb with an Anubis horrible stalking kind of werewolf guy makes it really fun after that. And so getting to the point, having the players understand exactly what it is they're facing, um, really, really easy, and building the characters into that story. So there's a really strong reason. Uh, for me, they're the best tips of when you when you write one. But that's uh, but that's first premise, I guess. How then you spread it out and make it enjoyable is a whole other thing. But for me, come up with a really solid idea that everything else will hand off, hang off. What, what's interesting is again, not to get too hung up on conventions, but I'm going to. Um, you have to write a description for your convention game to get people to play it. And if you're not writing it exactly, you, you, James, the way you said it, it's got to be obvious what they're doing and why they're doing it and yeah. because they're going to want to play the game because of that premise. And so you only have mm. a couple sentences to do it, so it better be pretty clear. Um, and the ideas that you s- talked about, that's the kind of thing that would be written in those descriptions. You're you're caught with Anubis, and can you now? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, so can, cool. can you can you survive the night of terror to the trapped in a terror. tomb with Anubis? <laughs> and, yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's great. And so, I mean, once you once you've got that idea shaped, then then you can start to pace out and write out your three act. And 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 Eric touched on three act before, which is that that really strong start, and then the crescendo in, into the into the end. Um, and and one shots are perfect for doing this. You know, it, it's a nice simple linear way um, in order to to get that 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 thing. Because what you want to be doing with a one shot is building that excitement. Until that last ten minutes, it's just everyone's rolling dice and yelling and screaming and having an absolute ball because they know that the end is nigh. You know, that's kind of that's for me. That's what makes a great one shot. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, when people get excited, I, I, for from my standpoint, um, I think you hit really on the head to start off with the setup and the call to action are most important. It should be obvious what we need to do or why we're doing it. Again. I only use pre-gens for convention games. You just don't have time to write them, create them anyway, yeah. um, because you can tailor them to specific activities within the game. Eric, had, you did have the opportunity. We created the characters, and then you tailored the game. So it was flipping the yeah. script, but it was the same thing, which was like, I know what everybody's capability is, and I want to make sure that they can take advantage of that. Um, I think another thing that we touched on is it's got to be super simple. The goal, what you're trying to, like you mentioned, we're trying to survive. We're trying to do something. It has to be super, super simple. What the goal is because people have to latch onto it because they don't have backstory. They don't, you know, they don't understand the machinations of the King and his court and why there's this jester who's, they don't know any of that. It's just, it has to be pretty super simple, clear as to what they're trying to do and why they're trying to do it. While you're building out um, these capabilities, or, or the the game too is, I think it's really important that you don't get too clever in what you're trying to do. Um, things like red herrings, or we even did an episode on notice rolls, where 
you know, mm. people have to be super smart and figure things out in order to keep the adventure going. They got four hours. Um, if you make it too clever, you'll have people spend an hour at a door arguing how they're going to disarm the trap. You know, this isn't Gary Gygax, Tuma Horrors. Maybe there shouldn't be a trap because that's not the point, right? The point is, unless that is important or critical to the story, maybe you shouldn't do that. Now, I, I want to throw in, um, we talk, there's this classic three-act story structure, but there's also a concept called the five-room dungeon model. And mm -hmm. it's all over the network. I The net, I, I did a video on Tabletop Tango about it as well. But the, the idea is it's a structure, a way of putting together, quote unquote, this kind of three-act model. And the first part of it is there's a room which represents the entrance or the guardian. There's a challenge to get in, a challenge to get past in order to get. And now this doesn't have to just be a dungeon, right? It uses a dungeon. <clears throat> it uses the dungeon as a, as kind of the concept model, but this makes sense for everything. So there's a challenge to get past, and this might be like Eric, you talk about get right into the action. There's a thing we yeah. got to get past. It may be a simple battle, what have you. Then second is there's a challenge. Could be a puzzle, could be that role-playing challenge where characters now get to interact with the environment in a way, use their skills in a way that um, we've designed the characters to take a, take advantage of. The number room three, they usually talk about a red herring, and I just said don't do that. But I really think of it as a twist. There's something, you, you just got past this puzzle, you know what you're doing. And then suddenly it's not quite the way you thought it was going to be. Uh, for example, I, I got past a, there's a trap. I got past the trap, it's great, but oh, there was something waiting for me on their side. It might've been a lieutenant. It might've been somebody who knew that I was getting past that and it causes me to have to rethink my strategy. And then finally, after all that, you can start building into the climax and it doesn't have to be a battle doesn't have to be a conflict. It could be, you know, I, I guess in some game systems like, you know, um, it, <clears throat> you discovered the thing that you were looking for. There's the dagger of, you know, Anubis <laughs> that you mm. were looking for and you found it now and it's great. And it's beautiful. And then the last part of the five room dungeon design is the conclusion. Again, the leaning it all out, but you also can add a little bit of a plot twist or something that leaves the players sort of going, I succeeded. Oh, and there's more to this story that if I got to play the next one, I, I was happy with the conclusion, but then there's something in, in addition, like the dagger you found. Oh, by the way, there's also some runes on it. And you now understand, you know, mummy two is coming, right? So there, there's some interest there. So that that's the concept of, and it works really well more in a campaign setting, but it also would make sense from a convention standpoint. Um, there's a lot of discussion on it. I, I did not do it justice here, but the idea is there's five pieces of it um, that come into come into play. Now, you know, I'm going to continue on a little bit. I'm taking over. I'm pretty passionate about this particular topic in a way. But the, the other thing that you have to keep in mind um, when we talk about time constraints is scalability. Um, we're going to have things that the players do in these three acts. Um, you know, there may be five things. There may be a combat and a this and a that. You have to make sure that you're able to remove or add based on the player's capability and what they're doing. And, and I just did a play test um, with Eric and some folks on a Dragonlance adventure I'm running at a convention. And one of the things that came out of it was, you know, I had a thing that was too open-ended. Maybe we turn that into a dramatic task. And dramatic tasks are very close-ended. You know, you know how many rounds yeah. it's going to take. 
to get things done. And so it gives the ability to streamline predictability, uh, very important from a convention game to be able to scale it up or scale it down. And that take, that's an art, but if you, the whole point is write the adventure knowing that, you know, if, if you have to pull out the woodsman because you don't have time for that role play with the woodsman, the data, the information is going to give you is available before you get there. Now it's a note in the dungeon or it's something written on a board as opposed to having a role playing challenge. That's just something to keep in mind for that. So Anyway, I took over a little no, that's, bit there, that's, but... Um, that, that's a really I, good point, and that's something that... Um, I mean, I think it's easier with Savage Worlds because there's so many different systems, but, like, have... like, And again, I'm coming from a longer, not a convention game, but they're, they're all still applicable, right, both ways. Um, like you said, have things that you can take out or put in, and maybe have different variants. Like, you can still have the same kind of narrative beat, and say, if we're using Savage Worlds, for example, one could be a chase. Maybe you say, okay, well, I have a chase here, um, that if they get to it, they can do a chase. But if you are, you know, have a variant of that where it's just a quick encounter, right? Um, so y y it's still the kind of the same, it says the same part of the story. It's just a, uh, a shorter version of that. Or, you know, if you have a combat that maybe it's over two different maps, like you have an exterior and an interior, you know, you can just drop that exterior if you need to and just have the interior. So there, there's there's ways where you can still have the same kind of points, but you're just you're just messing with either, you know, the systems that are being used or, or the type of the way you're narrating it, things like that. I think that's at least I've seen for, for longer ones. You can do have some fun with it like that. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. In a, in a lot of ways, too, um, when we talk about these five-room dungeon or three-act play or, or these these narrative beats, one of the things that I, I try and do, too, when I'm writing one of these is be very specific about your timing. You know, at the, at the end of the day, you've, you've got to get a resolution and you, you need to, you need this, you know, you can't say, well, hang on, we're going to need another hour because people aren't, aren't going to be available for that. So in a lot of ways, timing what you're doing or allocating specific times for, for specific parts of each adventure uh, for me, is really critical. So that way you can kind of keep an eye on the clock in, in, in right, ways that perhaps right. you wouldn't normally in a, in a campaign. So, for example, uh, I run two-hour and three-hour one-shots for, for children a lot. And so with a three-hour one-shot, you, you know, you need to be – you need to be done. You need to be in there within an hour. You need to be kind of finishing the the major challenge within hour two, and you need to be winding it up and getting ready for your crescendo by you know by halfway through hour three, um, and or, or in a demo, it's 20, 20, 20, 20 minutes, twenty minutes, twenty minutes, so that you're in and out within an hour. So, actually, having working out how long you've got, timing yourself in some ways is 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 really helpful. Um, I I will often. Uh, play and uh, play test is obviously critical if you're gonna if you're gonna send it publicly. But I will often read things and kind of get a sense and run run mock combats just to get a sense of how long these things these things might go. Um, <laughs> the other thing I use for when I'm writing a a, a one shot as well is I actually use a lot of handouts. I use lots of physical props and I use lots of images. What I find is when you've got people that are new to a game or around a table, particularly at a convention, because I think conventions are really, really good. Um, there's so much that you can do within your within your voice and, and dungeon mastering and narrating and telling the story. For other clues and other little sub-information, I find a really great thing is to actually use a handout. Here's a journal entry that you find. Here is a, a series of puzzle clues that you've got. Here is, in one case, I did a Morse code. So here's, here's some Morse code um, telegraph signals you find. And here's a Morse key. And it does a couple of things. The first thing is it drips feeds plot. 
while the game's still continuing. And it also gives people that aren't engaged directly into what's happening in the scene something to do at the table while they're, while they're still sitting there. So what you'll find is there'll be a guy, you'll be moving on with the plot, and the one guy that's trying to translate the most code, oh, whoa, whoa, guys, I've just found this clue. We've got to do this instead. And, and it can kind of be, it can drip feed an extra layer of info into the story. And I, I try and write that into all the one-shots I'm running now. I find it's really, really cool just to go, here's the journal, have a read. And people will read through it and while they're at the table. That's another element. Yeah, I, I think that's that's pretty cool having um, those props um, that allow people to to get the clues. Again, you know, be careful that uh, you know if you're giving them like a, a fake newspaper and there's one article that's interesting, I guarantee they're going to look at the other articles that are nothing, <laughs> you know, and say, "Oh, I get it." No, no, no. Let's just be careful. Be careful with that. Now, it's interesting when you talk about the story beats. I've learned in a lot of games what not to do by seeing that. Um, I played a game in a convention where they're all about props. You know, they, there was a locked door and they handed us a school locker lock. With, and we what? figured out the combination. Oh, we found it. So we were no supposed to. No way. I don't know about you, but I haven't opened a school lock in like many, many, many <laughs> years. Now, that's three turns and then one turn back. And, I, and literally we spent 30 minutes of the convention event on this first puzzle oh my god which should have been just like roll the dice and we figured it out yeah because they were trying to yeah. be clever and so we we so if you feel like you're at 10 minutes before the end of the game and you haven't got to the point yet you just you're not doing it right i mean i'm sorry we you've can say this up, but you've so just done I, it wrong i mean i know if you're having fun you're doing it right but in that case you're doing it wrong because the players <laughs> no, the players are just not you know if you have to narrate it away it says, oh, well, if you would have got to the big bad guy, you would have learned that, you know, he's teleporting all these creatures in. It would have been really cool if you saw the teleporter. But, yeah, you didn't because you were still looking at the trap on the door. Learn from others' mistakes. <laughs> and, and, and I think, and I think this is a real kiss situation, right, Carl? You're saying, like, keep it simple, stupid. Like, just o always on, on the simple side. That's, that's a safer place to be. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it, that's true. That's true. Keep it simple. Um, that goes back to simple goals, call to action, all that stuff. You know, pull it together for sure. Yep. Any other thoughts? And on I agree with it. And it, the scalability is important. Knowing knowing yep. these are the critical things that you've got to do to get the pathway going. And these are the added extra bits you could add if you've got a little bit more time. And this is the bit that you can get rid of if you don't. Um, and, and I also tend in my back of my mind when I'm writing one is what's the what's the escape clause here what is the panic 15 minutes before the end and they just haven't got it how do I bring this to a close quickly if I need to how do I add that and, and you can't just do oh god it's five minutes all right uh, uh the next shot kills the bad guy is very unsatisfying but it's that trigger point of I've got 20 minutes to go this is where I'm at how do I bring this to a head fast is just having that that little thing in the back of your pocket is to kind of go, here it is. And often that's about having that time-sensitive feeling about what's going on. So, for example, the, the slug that's taken over the carnival, the people who sold the slug to the carnival are actually arriving to collect the slug now that it's done its job, now that it's invaded the carny. These horrible alien beings are arriving in their pickup to pick up the slug. And that happens 20 minutes before the end of the game, no matter what. So you have a you have a... A crescendo you have a, an, an impact with the uh with the uh necropolis one where people are trapped in the in the tomb 
they run out of oxygen 20 minutes before. So you, you bring it to a close. Um, that way, no matter what happens, you get a result, which is um, very important for one-shot creation. Yeah, that's brilliant. That, that's brilliant. Uh, I, I love that thought process. That, um, and, and obviously, you need to keep your eye on the clock. Even if you're doing, like Eric talking about, a, a one-shot that goes off multiple sessions, if you're expecting it to be three, you don't want it to be nine because you still have to make sure you're moving things along and understanding when things should be happening. Um, Cause if you're like 20 minutes from when the 20 minutes should happen and no one's there, it's time to pull, it's time to nudge. It's time to, you know, get rid of the notice roll and just tell them what they need to know. Um, because, Hey, you're a very skilled person here. You know, you know this, right? So um, yeah. So Eric, we talked a lot about, you know, that side. Any, any other thoughts on, you know, as you were prepping your one shot, multiple session or you've been involved in uh for creation yeah 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 no i i think we i mean that was pretty much i, I all those things apply to the longer ones you just have more space I, I think the only trap there is like something that maybe i encountered a little bit is that you can go a little bit more because you think you have more time right <laughs> but as i discovered uh the other day is that <clears throat> i still had to meet that and i mean I ended where I wanted to, and it, it did. We went a tiny bit over. I think we went like five minutes or eight minutes over or something. Um, we ended where I wanted to, but that was because I – and I think we'll talk about this in the in the running section. I had to kind of hurry people along. Um, okay. Great segue. Yeah. Um, so let's go ahead and talk about um, – so we'll have a little bit of tips on running the event, which is more GM-focused. But then we're also going to have tips for players after that, so stay tuned for that. Um, so let's talk about – tips for actually executing the event, running it, um, this beautiful creation you had. Um, so, uh, I don't know. Let's, uh, let's start with James on that one. Uh, preparation is the key in, in my sense for running it. Um, <laughs> whenever I run a convention game, but even, even uh, a school holiday game or even one with friends, it's about being, it's about having everything you need and making sure you've got everything you need. That's dice, that's pencils for all the players. It's good, good crisp character sheets with, with good backgrounds already written up. I can't, I can't stress enough about having that little two paragraph background story for every character so they can read it like when you're first introducing the game. Um, I like to keep a very strict time frame and, and have a good set of notes to make sure I don't forget things. And that's things for me like uh, lines and veils or an X card if you're using it to try and, um, you know, to work through inclusiveness and, and making sure that you've got consent for some of the content you're running. But that's because I run a lot of horror uh, at conventions. So I run Call of Cthulhu for Chaosium more often than not at conventions. So there's often a lot of kind of really adult themes in, in, in those I, I games. Think most so I people sure know what that's set of time. I think most people know what lines and veils are, but did you want, would you just mm. kind of give the two sentence what that means? Yeah, so a line and veil is really about here are the things that as a player, as a, as a, as a game, uh, that, uh, that, I'm, that I'm happy to uh, have, that I, I don't want in the game whatsoever. Here are some of the things that I'm happy to have, but it, it can't be alluded to directly. So it, could be, it, could be, um, it can be alluded to, but not directly experienced. Um, and it's about getting player consent so that, we, so that you're all on the same page, so you're not stringing people with content that, that, that might be offensive to, to one and, and not to another. An X card's a whole other thing. An X card is just a very simple prop that you have on the table that if, you, if a player is uncomfortable or, or a dungeon master is uncomfortable, they just quickly touch the X card and then there's a no, there's a no question 
I'll just move on and tone down, tone it down a bit, or, or intersect a little bit. So um, they're good tools to have, um, and we and I think we'll, we'll probably end up doing a session on these uh, in, the, in the future. Um, in terms of uh, a running one, I I I'm big on being big um, for me. So uh, for me, uh, at a convention in particular, my my one shots are a bit of a performance. I tend to be the biggest, craziest, weirdest guy in the room. I stand up when I run them so that I can keep the energy levels high. Um, I tend to be really overt and very large right from the big, the get-go. I treat this like a kind of a, a, a story time on steroids where you're like, here, children, sit around the table. Let me tell you a tale. And I get very big very, very quickly. Um, and I jump straight into the violence, like it's it's um, it's kind of big dramatic opening scene. I bang on the table. I am not afraid at all of getting a crowd of of lookers on to be watching the chaos that is my one shots at conventions. Um, it's probably a little egotistical of me, but um, but I I find that a, a really entertaining punchy one shot. You gotta, you gotta elevate your energy levels a bit. You gotta be bigger than than, than you might normally be with a nice staid kind of um, uh, campaign. So I'm always over the top, always drawing a crowd. Um, the other thing I, I tend to do is be a little free and easy with the rules. Like I say, I run, I run demos a lot. So this is for people who've never tried a game before. Um, and with with a game like Call of Cthulhu, we're dragging Dungeons and Dragons players to sit down. I'm actually running. Uh, a, a new, a brand new game called uh, Relics, a game of angels for an Australian company at PAX Australia in a few weeks' time, which is all based on tarot cards. So there's going to be there's a whole heap of new stuff that you've got to kind of explain. So I tend to, to streamline rules as best as I can. Try not to get caught up on on rules, lawyer. Just make a call, move on. Keep it as nice and free and easy as possible because it's all about the trope. It's all about the action. And one last little thing that I that I will I will add in terms of running a game is be very aware of combats and how much they can drag time. Uh, a combat, particularly if you're moving figures around a board, can be very very time consuming because it means players have to think. They've got to stop. They've got to think. They've got to figure out what they what they want to do. I tend to use theatre of the mind almost oh, yeah. exclusively when I run when I run a convention. I very rarely bring out the miniatures and the maps. Because you can be quick, you can be fluid, you can be fast. So for me, one shot's about that shared imagination, but um, but try not to bog yourself down too much with a combat. We're, we're my, like we're like twins. We're like twinsies. Because yeah. because when I'm when I'm at a convention, standing I'm always up standing up. I never never sit down, and I'm roaming the table. I'm going around. Yep. Plus, I'm you know I'm half deaf, so I need to be like close <laughs> to people because there's a lot of noise going on. But um, but definitely high energy because you want people to, you know, be excited. Lots of spotlight sharing going back and forth to the players, jump cuts, you know, so everybody gets a chance to say what they they want to do um, and theater to mind. Like I, I have a hard time running unless you're doing a big set piece kind of thing. And you, I, I have a hard time running things. I mean, my props, my maps, like I have a thing called the Helix Nebula situation, which is you're on a starship. The map you get is what you would get on a screen. Like if you're going to the screen and say, hey, show me a map of the ship. There's your map of the ship. There, Everything else is, you know, you're in rooms. You're going to be close. Why Why would we show a map and have tactical combat related to that? I, I'm, I'm, you're, you're hitting all the same, I think, the same points that 
that I think are important to hit as well. Um, just making sure that all those different play styles get a chance that we're jump cutting between people. And that also helps move things along. If somebody's going long, you say, okay, well, what are you doing exactly? Okay, gotcha. So what are you doing exactly? And then narrate from that so everybody gets a chance to mention what they're doing and no one's left out um, of, of the, the action. Even if they don't want to do anything, at least they had the spotlight for a second to say that. And hopefully that's happened and been written in, you know, that every character's got a function within the, within the group, that, that there's, their one special skill is reflected in the writing. And so that you know that, that the spotlight's going to be on that, on that player at some point because it's been written into the game, that, right. that the lion tamer in my circus adventure yep. has to deal with the slug-infested lion that comes barreling out of the cage, you know, and has to kind of tame the lion. You, you add those elements into, into it and, and be ready to draw, to draw those players in when, when, when it's their time to shine, for sure. Eric, tips from tips from the other day running uh, uh, running well, the lunch up? Again, you guys are just coming so much from the convention side. I mean, but I think most of those things obviously apply. I have a lot of the same things. You know, don't get hung up on rules. Definitely reward creativity. You know, move things along. Um, but a lot of people are playing one shots. Let's be honest. Over the internet, it's a session. It's two sessions. It's not an hour long. Um, so I think in those cases, when you do have maps. I think just overall, don't be afraid to to rush them if you need to. I mean, I think I made the mistake of rushing you guys too much, but that was my mistake on the first combat encounter being a little too long. But when I say rush them along, you know, in combat, like, don't be afraid to be like, you need to make a decision, otherwise you're just going to like do a basic attack or something. Like, if it's yeah. if it is dragging along, don't be afraid to be direct. And I think that's what you guys were talking about is is be direct in combat. Out of combat, I, you can still rush them along, but try to do that more in character. Um, the other the other day when, when you guys were in the agency and you wanted to steal a stapler or something, uh, <laughs> which was funny, and I was like, okay, I'm going to go along with this. I still had, I, again, I was trying to carry it along to get to the last scene. So I just had this very powerful agent who was telekinetic just throw you out of the, the room. You know, I wasn't, it was one of those things where maybe it was a campaign I would have, you know, we would have bounced back and forth more um, about that. Well, so I still really loved the role playing. I was like, okay, that's a great, funny thing. She's she's not going to put up with any BS right now. She's just going to throw you out of the room. So don't be afraid to, to move things along, um, you know, in combat, be more direct, out of combat, try to do that more in character narratively. Um, I think one thing to, sh to do, especially in one shots, especially if you have combats, don't, hand out rewards more often than you would. So in Savage World, mm. it's bennies. You know, give them bennies more than normal. You're not going to be able to remember all the hindrances. You're not going to be able to, they're not going to have time to play at all their hindrances. So give bennies out. Uh, I think for me, I came up with a way that I wanted you guys to get more into the story. So I had you guys doing these quick interludes with some of the, the two kind of main characters to kind of draw you in more and also to reward you, to give you bennies more because I knew that you weren't going to be getting bennies for playing your hindrances. Uh, for things like D&D, &D, don't be afraid to give out inspiration more. You know, normally 5e and maybe James and Carl have a different take on this. Uh, it, it's it's given out much less, but I, I think in a one shot, you, you know, you want them to, while there can be a failure of the game, you don't want it to fail, right? In a campaign, it's much more robust uh. to handle failure. I know, I think you have a different take on this, James, but I think generally, <laughs> I think generally, you know, we don't want to have the game just end an hour in, right? So give oh, that's them, true. Yes. Yeah. So give them things like bennies, give them things like inspiration, give them things like hero points, just be more free with those because, you know, you're, they're not going to have the time to earn those quote unquote normally. Um, and you want them to kind of generally succeed more than fail most of the time. Uh, 
Um, I, I think you guys were very spot on about sharing the spotlight. I, I think we talked about that a lot in creation. Um, again, be direct. You know, if, if you have somebody who's not really speaking up, you know, normally you might kind of slow ball that in a campaign. Be very direct with them. Be like, you know, specifically you, do you want to do this? Or have this challenge. Oh, your character would know this. Do you want to like roll for this? So I think it, I think it, it is being direct here is good. And like you said, James, communication, communication, communication. You know, have the premise set up. Uh, have any, like you said, veils and lines. Um, get, get, all, get everybody on the same page as quickly as possible and be very honest about it. Like, you know, if you're like, I want to get a lot done. Can we, we need to move this along or, you know, I, I think we're struggling here. You know, don't be afraid to kind of step in and to be open and communicative. So, um, yeah, I am um, sorry. I brushed that along, but <laughs> I, I actually love, and I'm, I'm a big fan. I, for me, one shot's the perfect TPK ground. I, I, and I'm not afraid at all of massive abject failure at the end of a, of a one shot. Yeah. As long as it's epic, as long as it's obscenely over the top, last stand, we we stare down the behemoth, yeah. and I make my final and I make my final stand kind of vibe. Um, and again, it's probably reflective that I run a lot of Call of Cthulhu, which you're not really supposed to survive. But some <laughs> of the most epic endings to one shots I've ever had in my life have been guys with the lit fuse of dynamite saying, "If I'm going, you're coming with me." I've had a guy who played the uh, the the um the ringmaster at the circus just sitting and smoking a cigarette as the as the descending creatures rip him apart you know don't be afraid to to have uh, the group fail as long as it's epic while they do it i mean at i'm the not end, sure right and at the end yeah I mean, right at the end that's, that's the make sure point. that you yeah. know so if if you're coming and then it's they're just not beating the monster rather than have the next roll kills the guy and i've heard lots of things people say this that you know don't don't just say we have to call it there folks have the next shot kill the monster i think have the next shot kill the players is kind of how i work it yeah. make it make it epic and memorable and and you watch the crowds go oh my god he just killed people in a one shot it's like thanks folks thanks for playing um, i start the next session in an hour if you think you can beat it good luck is always that vibe as well i like to fail forward a little bit on i i've had that where i have uh basically a convention event where everybody ends up dying at the end um you know, the ship sinks, they drown, the whole thing. But in the end, the <laughs> sinking of the ship is a good thing. They all died, but in the end, yes. they failed forward. Yeah, and it, it did something. The thing yeah. on the ship that they were trying to protect, now it's at the bottom of the ocean. They they fought the dragon. The dragon kind of won, but didn't really win. And yeah, it's it, it can be very satisfying to know that your character... Because that's big in movies, right? You know, in the end, I do my last stand, and my sacrifice meant something bigger than my own life, right? So that's and pl players will be more open to it too, because it's not their character that they handcrafted, oh, yeah, right. wrote a three-page backstory, have have you know built up and curated over whatever you know fifteen hours or whatever. So I, it is a good opportunity to yeah. kind of have those beats that normally you wouldn't want to happen yeah. in, in your campaign I, game. I play my character uh, again, like I in stole the it. End, in the end, so you know. <laughs> Yeah. It's like a car. You drive it like you stole it. We play our characters like they're <laughs> going to die. We don't care. <laughs> All right. So speaking of players, right? Ooh. That's a good segue. Um, good what about tips for the players in a one shot? Um, obviously, yeah, I, take... I think. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go on, Carl. I was I, just going to say, no, obviously, take the darn hook. Okay. Go ahead, Eric. <laughs> yeah. <that's>... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hundred percent. I mean, I think I, I, we just talked about this. Uh, when you're make, 
if it, this is the game where you're making a character, you know, like I said, I play longer ones where usually you're allowed to make a character. Um, uh, so if you're making character, go way out of type. Like, really try and do something completely different. You'll be very surprised. It's a perfect ground to try a character that you normally don't play. That's what I usually, when I do one-shots, I always try to play something that I'm just, you know, my normal kind of... You know, and I play different characters, but there's this is, like, way out of type, right? So I think that's that's a really good way to kind of mix it up, to keep it exciting, to keep it fresh, to kind of learn something from it. Um, if you are doing a pre-gen... Even if they've given you something, like I think with your with in your testing game, Carl, like, and I think we talked about this in the role playing. You know, I really quickly just had like I don't know much about the setting, but I was like, he, there's a war going on. He's a dwarf. I was like, my lover got killed in the war, and that's my. It just I had like this one motivation that it really stuck me through, and that kind of helped me keep my role playing beats throughout the whole one shot. Even when I I only had a couple lines here and there, but. Um, yeah, you know, give yourself that simple, simple motivation or simple flaw. I think we talked about this a lot in the role playing. Um, and you said, take the hook, give the GM a break. Like, you know, if you're listening to this, we've, we've gone over timing is so crucial. Uh, you know, like I said, with, with people want to share their characters, be very aware that, you know, be respectful to the GM, especially, and be, be respectful to the other players, uh, you know, have your moment to shine, but really try to move it along, uh, you know, Give the GM some bones sometimes if 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 they are trying to move it along, you know, go along with that. I think that's really important. Um, if you are making character, yeah, I th that's that's my main kind of tips for for playing a one shot. Well, I don't know if you guys have any insight into that or. Oh yeah, I, you know, I, it's take the hook, but yeah. On top of that, you're here for a short time, not a long time, right? Not a good time, not a long time. I guess is yeah. the thing. Use the spells. Use the one-shot items oh, yeah. that you've never been able to use before. <laughs> Insert yourself into the risk. Yeah, there's a massive... Yeah, that hallway's on fire, but I don't care. I'm running down the hallway. Yeah, I'm going to stand and fight the monster. You know, it's that... It's that you should, if, if the, if the one-shot's well-crafted, by the time you start to get right into it, you should get an understanding about what it is that you're going to be... what, what it is you're going to be doing. Um, confront confront the game and do so in the most over-the-top crazy way possible um you know there's nothing more epic than, than than players that do epic things in one shots and uh and build on that excitement um there's etiquette stuff as well i guess in in some ways again i'm talking convention based in some ways but you are playing with strangers so be nice be excited, applaud when someone's got a great idea. If that if that little eleven year old kid that's playing D D for the first time at a convention with their dad comes up with a cool idea, go with them. You know, yeah, I like that. I'm going to go with him. Yeah, yes, you know, support the players. Be big <laughs> and be bold is kind of my my thought. And that's a really good show. point. But there is the there is the other side of don't don't hog it though. Don't don't mm. constantly be you know Leroy Jenkins, uh, Leroy whatever. Leroy Jenkins, right? you, yeah, don't yep. leave Leroy, Leroy Jenkins everywhere. Be, do your do the crazy things, like I said. Play out of type, but don't you know? Well, yeah, uh, be, share be, the spotlight. I think. Yeah. I think you hit and it. Be GM. respectful for the other players who are there. They, you know, in a convention world, they all paid money. They're all taking time out of their day to play the game. It's not just you. Don't be contrarian. Don't you know? I'm going to try to do things just to mess up the game master. See if. You know, see how good they're at thinking on their feet. Um, yeah. But also, hey, I'm going to hog the spotlight and I'm going to have these long, um, you know, monologues. I'm going to tell everybody what to do. Don't. I mean, yeah, there's an 11-year-old who's only played this is the first time playing. But if you tell them everything to do, 
they're not going to enjoy the game and they're not going to feel like they experienced it. Everybody's there to experience it. So um, just, you know, keep, in, keep that in mind. Again, with your home group, you know, everybody has a role to play. And, you know, yeah, we know that the guy who likes to play face characters will talk for 20 minutes. And that's okay. That's, that's the chance I have to do a bio break and eat some chips. And it's okay. Maybe not so much at, uh, at, at the convention, right? So, um, but I think Eric and James, you hit it. You, you made some very, very good points. Have fun. You know, one shots are about doing something completely different. Yeah. So just have fun with it. Lean, in, lean into it. it. Yeah. Lean yeah, into yeah. the Absolutely. Yeah. Seize the day. Seize the day. So. <laughs> touch, the, touch the evil idol. Swallow the slug. You know, do the thing. Yeah. Unless it's living world, then maybe I don't know. Maybe you don't do it that way. I I don't know. I've never played never played any of those. Living so. world, or, or what is it? There's uh, the ones where you keep your character forever. I, I forget. Oh, which oh, oh like, yeah, yeah, where, yeah, where yeah. It's, it's one. You do a one shot, but then you can okay, like an like a like an adventure league. league. Yeah, yeah, adventure league. Chaos. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Isn't that called a living world? Maybe not. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Like, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> and I, don't and know I guess adventures league, yeah. adventures league, cult of chaos. Those organized play style which have a have an ongoing where you can bring a character to any of the anyone that's running those a whole other ball game and i'm sure we can talk more about that but um but that that comes with a whole other level of hazards where people know their character and you don't so that's a whole other thing oh that's interesting that. yeah yeah i've only played one of those but yeah it was an interesting experience that, that's more about <laughs> mechanics i think and that's yes. more about winning yeah. epic fail is not a good thing in in that situation i suppose but um so, all right, we think we covered that one uh, well. Really good insight from everybody. Any last thoughts or we'll close it off? All right. Still having fun. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, well, thanks, everyone, uh, for catching the uh, show. Uh, hopefully you got something out of it. Uh, remember to drop by masteringtherpg.com. And if you got questions... We really do want to, I think Eric talked about it in one of the early episodes. We really do want yes. to hear where you got conflict and we can answer and, and we have or three people story. so we can vote. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so two out of the three will win on the right answer if there is a right answer. So, <laughs> um, and that's Game Master at MasteringTheRPG.com. And both of those are all one word. Um, so this is Carl, Eric, and James saying good night. Adios. Happy gaming. 